Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Promos, Head of Institutional Content and Investment Magazine, and this is Market Narratives. This show is a series of unorthodox conversations with thought leaders influencing the world of fiduciary investors. For more related insights and analysis, please remember to check out our website, investmentmagazine.com.au, and subscribe for a free email. And with that, please enjoy this week's episode. My guest today is Henrik Anderson, Chief Investment Officer at Apollo Capital. Henrik, welcome. Thank you so much, Alex. Glad to be here. So I think you, t- you told me today that it's a special day. It's Bitcoin Pizza Day. Um, so I thought this is a great chance to, to talk about Bitcoin. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of interest around gold. Um, there seems to be a lot of support from a macro point of view around gold. Likewise, Bitcoin now seems to be getting similar interest. I wonder if you could give us a, a backdrop in terms of how we've got to this point um, where this, the, the interest around Bitcoin has really sort of taken off. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I almost forgot that it's the Bitcoin Pizza Day today. Um, it's been celebrated since May 22nd in 2010, uh, where the first physical transaction was made um, in Bitcoin. Um, and um, today, uh, now we are 11 years after Bitcoin was launched uh, at the, uh, sort of the last the big financial crisis. Um, and Bitcoin is really building a narrative today around digital gold. Um, and um, I think this is in sharp contrast to what's happening with central banks around the world. Uh, with Bitcoin, we have a fixed supply of 21 million coins. And um, uh, that is uh, programmed into the software of, of Bitcoin. And every four years, the supply of Bitcoin is going down in something called the halvening. And we just uh, passed the third halvening in Bitcoin, which means that the inflation rate in Bitcoin is now at around 1.8%, which is basically lower than the target inflation rate for fiat currencies around the world. So while we have quantitative hardening in Bitcoin, uh, we have quantitative easing going around uh, um, in the global financial markets around the world. Um, so I think the contrast couldn't be any sharper. Um, and I think it's interesting to look back even longer. If we look back to 1971, when the gold standard ended, that's really when we saw the inflation pick up the Fed balance sheet really expand. Uh, you know, we had less wage growth. We have larger national debt. Um, and that really started, I think, a trend. And if the listeners Google what happened in 1971, the first uh, hit on Google is a website that described uh, what started in 71. And now with the uh, financial crisis in 08 and 09. Uh, we started a QE programs, one, two, three, and four. Uh, and since the corona crisis hit, you know, the Federal Reserve is talking about a QE unlimited, more or less. So this is really unprecedented. M1 and M2 uh, growth in the US is growing at an annualized rate of 72 and 39%. The Fed balance sheet is always $7 trillion. Um, at some point, we're going to get high inflation, and that is going to make scarce assets more valuable. 
like gold, uh, which is, um, I think, coming into fashion again, but also digital gold, which we believe uh, is Bitcoin. <laughs> let, let, let's dig into some of that, that, that sort of evolution in Bitcoin. I think, you know, historically for a lot of people, when they hear Bitcoin, they think of the speculation, they think of tulip bubbles and so forth. Uh, and they even maybe think about sort of some of the, the early days. Okay, yes, there was the first transaction being the pizza, but you know, there's also been some issues around, um, I can't think of the name at the moment, but the road, uh, what was the road that um, yeah, Silk Road? The Silk Road that became a big problem and a really interesting story. A great book as well was was written on that. Um, you know, so how has it evolved such that we've come through that sort of early days until where we are today, where there are some very senior uh, people out there in the market, big investors, well well known ones such as Paul Tudor Jones, that are starting to advocate uh, you know Bitcoin as a as a serious asset class now. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, it was started uh, roughly 10 years ago by a small group of people, mainly in the U.S., um, uh, libertarians, uh, and they have been working on, on this problem for a long time, uh, for actually for decades, to create uh, um, a digital currency that is not dependent on a central authority or a, uh, or a company, a central bank, or, or, or anything like that, that is decentralized. Uh, and that wasn't really possible before uh, Satoshi Nakamoto invented Bitcoin uh, in 2008 and then launched a network in 2009. So this was a breakthrough in computer science, a problem uh, that computer scientists had worked on for decades beforehand. And that breakthrough meant that for the first time you can take ownership of a digital asset. That's a very powerful idea. Uh, of course, no one really work, knew if it would work, and very few people believed that it, it, it would work, and it had very little value in the beginning. You know, it, the network was launched in, in January of 2009, and not until May, uh, a year later, in 2010, the first transaction was made, as, as I mentioned. Um, but the uh, Bitcoin price was still very volatile. It wasn't worth much. Um, but I think the longer the time goes, the more people understand that this is based on unbreakable technology using cryptography. Um, and it's based on, on open software that ever, anyone can verify. Um, and, and that means that we no longer has to have to trust um, institutions or middlemen uh, not to print more money because the inflation rate is set in Bitcoin. Um, and it's all also interested, interesting, the, the narrative um, with digital gold. I think even from the very start, you know, Bitcoin was seen as, as perhaps an alternative to gold, but I think the narrative is now growing really strong. Um, and you also, when you get interested in Bitcoin, you learn about the history of gold um, and why it's valuable. And I found that really interesting as well. You know, gold has been a store of value for humans for thousands of years. Um, and it's not just been used as a medium of exchange. Even from the very, very start, thousands of years ago, Bitcoin, gold was, was uh, used as a store of value, was handed down to the next generation to preserve wealth. Um, another lesson I learned is that 
gold is used uh, for jewelry uh, because it's valuable, not, not the other way around. There are a lot of metals out there that are shiny. Um, and uh, so, so gold has this value, which is now around $10 trillion, the value of all gold uh, above Earth. Um, and it has that value because of its properties, which are quite unique. Um, a good, good money should be scarce. It should be transportable. Um, it should be fung fungible. Um, all these properties. Um, and when we compare them to Bitcoin, Bitcoin beats gold's properties on almost every one. It is more scarce than, than gold because we have a fixed quantity of Bitcoin. We don't know how much gold is out there uh, on Earth or even in the universe. It's more transportable than, than gold because you can send it to anyone in the world almost instantly for free. It's easier to verify the authenticity of Bitcoin versus gold because you can just run a simple software program. Um, so in many ways, Bitcoin's properties are perhaps better than gold, but Bitcoin's value is much, much lower still. But as people start seeing Bitcoin is still around 10 years after it was invented, um, some serious investors are starting to uh, look at Bitcoin and understand these properties. And they see, is, see it at, as, as perhaps an alternative to gold in their portfolio. Let's dig I into today on, on Bloomberg that one of the biggest asset managers in, in, in Europe thinks that the government uh, might ban gold ownership um, again at some point. That happened before in history in 1933. Uh, but Bitcoin is from that sense more secure than in gold, uh, it, it got what we called uh, deep uh, security, where you can use encryption um, to be sure that you can hold Bitcoin more secure than a physical asset. Let's dig into some of those properties, right? I, I, I want to challenge a situation where you've got a situation that, yes, Bitcoin is, is easier to transport and transact. Uh, I think people are pretty comfortable with, with that piece of the puzzle. I guess one of the, the big leaps that people need to make is that, yes, they know gold. It's got a physical aspect. It's, you know, it's come from the earth. Uh, Bitcoin is, uh, is a created product, if you would like to call it that, or a created uh, functioning unit. So, you know, how do people take that leap to something that's, that's you know, got, got a system where it does have a limited number of coins and that creates this scarcity as opposed to gold, which people know that uh, there is a scarcity in the sense that here's a, a product that's there. We can't keep having unlimited sources of gold. It's a natural resource, I guess you could say. Um, so if, when I think about those properties, um, and then you talk about the property around sort of gold potentially being being banned, I, I saw the article, I think it was from uh, well, yeah, one of the hedge fund guys. Uh, you know, How do you then think about Bitcoin in those construct, you know, in terms of, Bitcoin, is there a chance that that could be banned as well as more and more, you know, uh, governments around the world, particularly the US um, government starts to see this as a threat to their currency, firstly, uh, you know, and, and then how do you sort of answer the question around, you know, this, this, the properties of something that is being created, you know, it's new with a hypothetically that, or, or specifically there is a limit um, of these Bitcoins available, but, um, 
you know, there, there can be other coins. And so how do you, how do you think about that piece and also the, the opportunity of, of this to be banned? Yeah, so th that's really great questions. Um, I think you're right. You know, people are comfortable often with, with something that has a physical form. Bitcoin is purely digital. Now, I believe there is, a, of course, a big trend in the world going towards digital assets, and Bitcoin is a native digital asset. Um, and I think with, with proper security, it's easier to secure something that is purely digital versus a physical asset. And we have seen that in history as well. You know, in 33, as, as I mentioned, gold was banned uh, in, 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 in the U US private ownership of, of gold. And that could happen again. Bitcoin, I believe it's harder for anyone to ban. Uh, firstly, it's legal in almost uh, the whole world, uh, with the exception of a few countries like North Korea. Uh, but uh, even in countries like China, Bitcoin is, uh, is legal. It's legal to hold, uh, hold Bitcoin. Um, and it's a little bit like shutting down the internet. It's not an easy thing to do. Because Bitcoin, as I mentioned, is based on open and free uh, code. Uh, and code is, I would argue, another form of free speech. And in most, at least Western countries, you know, we have free speech uh, protections. So it's a little bit like banning free speech. Uh, money became software, became free speech. You know, it's just math behind it. And, and you know, it's very hard to ban math. Um, so th that's one way to look at it. And maybe Bitcoin needs to be banned in some countries. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it is it, very useful in countries like Venezuela, which has hyperinflation, but they might not be legal in Venezuela. Most people in the world, I would argue, lives in countries where you don't have full free speech and um, you have capital controls or you have hyperinflation. Uh, so Bitcoin become, is becoming um, free speech or it's becoming uh, the, uh, um, the leader of the free world, if you like. Mm -hmm. um, is there a chance for for more regulation, for example, to to come in on top of it? I, I guess you know that's as I said, you can you can ban it. That's the full extreme. But I guess if governments find it difficult uh, to to ban it, it just keeps popping up. It sort of reminds me of the whole days of of torrents and people torrenting music and and movies and so forth. You know, they close down one uh, system and another one pops up. You know, it feels similar here. So maybe it's a bit too hard to ban, but you you create all sorts of other regulations to almost co-opt it. Um, is is that more likely? You know, particularly as there's still probably concerns around how Bitcoin maybe or, or other crypto assets are being used to, you know, transact in in maybe you know prohibited uh, activities. You know, is regulation possible? We have seen regulation around Bitcoin, and I think that's mainly a good thing. For example, exchanges are being increasingly regulated, both here in Australia and around the world, to make sure that they you know, follow anti-money laundering regulation, KYC, and so forth and so on. Mm -hmm. So we have regulation around you know, the exchange of Bitcoin and other digital assets. 
And I think that's mainly a good thing. You know, it makes um, investors more comfortable comfortable with, with this asset class. Um, I think what mainly regulators um, uh, want to avoid is financial crimes such as uh, Ponzi schemes and other types of scams. Uh, a few years ago, we had this boom with called ICOs where people were basically selling unregulated securities. And they have mostly stamped that out now. So they um, went after people um, selling unregulated securities um, to retail investors. Um, and um, I think that's a good thing. And, and no, that is not, not happening anymore. Um, so I think that's mainly what the regulators are, are concerned with here. Mm-hmm. Um, and what about Facebook's uh, sort of move into the space with, with Libra? I, I don't know where it's got to, but there was obviously uh, some very senior uh, companies. I think Mastercard uh, and PayPal were involved. You know, is is that sort of another approach? Like, wh- how does that sit on on top of this Bitcoin network? You know, or is this or um, I'm not sure how they all link up. There's different blockchains out there and and different ways of of transacting. Absolutely. We have seen a huge growth recently um, in something we call stable coins, which are these crypto assets that are pegged to a fiat currency like the US dollar. So Bitcoin is a crypto asset, but it's very volatile. It cha- The price goes, goes up and down a lot. Um, but you can create similar crypto assets, but pegged to uh, a fiat currency. They can have different construction, um, some of them are backed by money in an escrow account, basically money in, in, in the bank. And there are more other structures as well that might be more decentralized without the involvement of banks. Um, and that industry has, has really grown a lot. Uh, now you have over $9 billion, I believe, in, in what you call stable coins. And it's up something like 100% the last six months. Um, and with stable coins, you can send currency as easily as with Bitcoin to anyone in the world instantly, almost for free. So we are creating this seamless financial new infrastructure built on open blockchains. Most stable coins are on top of a network called Ethereum, uh, which was launched five, six years after Bitcoin. The Ethereum was the big, big innovation after Bitcoin. Can you give us a bit more context on, on sort of how Ethereum, you know, how you know, is Ethereum like a different type of blockchain or is it a, um, it's a particular crypto asset? How, how does, uh, how do we understand that? Yeah, Ethereum is both in crypto assets and, and a blockchain. So it, it can be a bit confusing, but um, Bitcoin, with Bitcoin, we can trans- transport value uh, from one person to another. Uh, Ethereum is trying to be more general. So with Ethereum, you can uh, do all kinds of financial transactions uh, built on a blockchain called Ethereum. The crypto asset that fuels Ethereum is called Ether. Um, And on Ethereum, you can build these smart contracts that can uh, do all kinds of transactions um, in an open and transparent, unstoppable way. And, And that's where we see... Uh, this explosion in stable coins 
and what we called DeFi or decentralized finance. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned Libra as well, and maybe I should get back to Libra as well, uh, since you mentioned it. Libra is is, is um, stablecoin proposed by Facebook together with a number of uh, partners around the world. Um, and um, as as you remember, last year. Um, when they launched their plans for for Libra, they really um, got in the eyes of the uh, U.S. regulators. Um, They were planning to not peg it to um, one single fiat currency, but to a basket of of currencies, Um, sort of like a global central bank, if you like. Um, And it seemed like the regulators did not... uh, really like this idea of having an unregulated uh, entity like Facebook create uh, perhaps a financial instrument like uh, the Libra coin. Uh, so there were a lot of scru- scrutiny going on um, uh, at that time. But Libra is still alive and uh, they sort of uh, changed their model a little bit. They're not going, now they're going to peg it to fiat currencies like the US dollar and other fiat currencies. So they changed the model a little bit, and I do believe that they will be able to launch, perhaps even uh, late this year or next year. Next year. And recently, we got uh, some news uh, with regards to Libra. They uh, got some new members uh, in the Libra Association. Uh, one of them being Temasek, um, uh, associated with the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Singapore. Uh, they also appointed a new. Um, uh, legal chief uh, as uh, CEO coming from HSBC. Um, so I think they're still uh, working very hard uh, trying to launch Libra uh, soon. And and for us that exi- is, is, is exciting because that can really be a gateway into crypto for perhaps billions of people. If you look at Facebook alone, you have uh, within the different Facebook networks, over 2 billion monthly active users. And today we might have 50 million people around the world that uses crypto on a regular basis. So that would really be a step change in, in the adoption of cryptocurrencies if they were able to, to, to launch. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a bit of context on on all these different options? It seems like there's a there's a whole spectrum of of uh, options. You know, is Ethereum or Ether and Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash and Litecoin. Uh, it feels like there's this whole spectrum of of assets out there. You know, how how are people supposed to look at them? You know, is is Bitcoin like the gold, and then you know Ether or you know is is a silver, and there's just different metals? Is that how we think about this? I, I you know. I'm not sure what, what what's the best approach. Yeah, so uh, you know, it's it's a little bit like the Wild West. We have over five thousand uh, crypto assets uh, out there today, um, and um, the total market cap is around two hundred fifty billion dollars. We think that the overall market cap of, uh, market cap of crypto assets will grow substantially coming years. Um, but you really need to know what you're investing in here because most of these 5,000 crypto assets will have very little value long term, uh, long term, and many of them might go to zero or close to zero. Uh, you know, we think there are, there is definitely value in something like Bitcoin, um, 
know, with all the money printing going around in the world today, uh, you know, Bitcoin, we believe it's likely go to go to a hundred thousand dollar a coin at some point if it's in, you know, six months or eighteen months or five years, um, and that is because Bitcoin is a digital gold, and more and more investors uh, are starting to realize this. Uh, but apart from Bitcoin, there are a number of interesting assets in this space. We think they are mostly um, related to what we call decentralized finance or DeFi. That is really the low-hanging fruit, we believe, outside Bitcoin uh, in crypto assets. Uh, and DeFi, that's about creating financial primitives uh, uh, on open blockchains that are open, that are permissionless, anyone can access them uh, in the world with just a mobile phone and an internet connection. They are trustless, that means we don't have to trust a corporation or a, or a middleman of any kind. Uh, and that means we can create financial inclusion for everyone in the world. Uh, if you like, they are creating financial automation. And right now, uh, we see a lot of growth in this area. And these assets uh, enables lending, borrowing, they enable derivatives, peer-to-peer, they enable exchange peer-to-peer -peer without the middlemen, on, and they enable synthetic assets, meaning we can trade representative of any asset on top of, for example, Ethereum. So that's really where, where a lot of uh, investors like ourselves uh, are really excited. We really see exponential growth in this area in terms of innovation and capital being uh, deployed in DeFi. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating that part of the market. I, I worked historically in, in impact finance and I know there's been a lot of work around microfinance and how to make this, this lending and insurance work at very small scales. So I, I can clearly see a lot of applications for, for this type of uh, transactions and currencies, you know, cryptocurrencies that can work there. You know, let's bring it a little bit closer to home when you think about the superannuation funds. You know, if, if you ask them and you talk to them about Bitcoin, you know, are they seeing it as an alternative bet on the financial system falling down? It's an asymmetric payoff that they can invest in. It's almost like a, a tail hedge. You know, what are you seeing in that part of uh, the, the institutional asset owner land? Yeah. So, yeah, I think we have seen increased interest from institutions. We mentioned that before with some big investors uh, making the first uh, steps in, in, in crypto, uh, mainly overseas. Uh, and I think one reason we are seeing that is because the infrastructure um, has been built out the last few years. Since 2017, um, you know, we got futures trading on some of the biggest exchanges in the world, CME and ICE as Bitcoin futures. We now have Bitcoin options as well um, uh, on these exchanges in New York, Chicago and Singapore. And we have you know, custody of, of these assets uh, with uh, third-party custodians that, that have insurance policies and so on. Uh, and lastly, we have crypto funds and VC investors in the area that have a two, three year track record now. Um, so it's becoming more and more viable for institu institutional investors. 
I think here in Australia, you know, we're out there talking to instant investors all the time. Uh, but I think most investors here are quite conservative still, you know, real estate and housing uh, are popular investments. They're, they're looking for yields, many of them. Um, but we do see an increased interest. Um, um, and uh, that is uh, that is because they're looking for alternative investments. In this investment climate, equities might not be that attractive, especially if we will see high inflation uh, at some point in the future. Bonds and equities does not look good in that environment. Um, so they're looking for alternative investments. And I think crypto fits the bill when it comes to an alternative investment that is not correlated to their existing uh, portfolio. But up to, until now, I would say it's mostly about education and uh, uh, getting people comfortable with, with this new asset class. Are you feeling that that uh, the interest is more specifically? You mentioned the futures and options. Is that where they're looking to trade first, besides the underlying asset? Is it you know using it as an option for, as I said, the asymmetric payoff that they can see? Uh, no, I don't think options as such. I think uh, you know uh, crypto assets are very riskful uh, as, uh, in in themselves. So I don't think they're looking at options on on crypto. Uh, they are probably looking to get exposure to this this broad asset class, either Bitcoin or to the broader asset class. Uh, there are very few options um, in terms of listed uh, products. There are the futures um, in, in that I mentioned. But other than that, I think they will most likely do it through a, through a crypto fund or, or something similar. That's what we have seen overseas as well when institutional investors have... Um, looked at this space. I think for many institutional investors, uh, you know, it can be an attractive uh, asset class because you can put a small percentage of your portfolio in something with high, high risk, but uh, where the payoff can be really big. And that's really the holy grail of, of, grail of finance, I believe. Uh, you know, we have done some research showing that you can put perhaps 1% of your portfolio in something like crypto assets and it can make up 50% of your returns uh, of the portfolio uh, over, over a certain time. Um, and if you don't put too much into to the asset class, then you, you don't need to risk too much either. Uh, so that's really how, how we look at it. Uh, and it's interesting, both as a hedge, I believe, uh, but as, as an hedge with an upside potential because gold can also be a hedge, but it probably doesn't have the same upside. You know, bonds can be a hedge, but you don't really have the upside with zero interest rates um, and you might have some downside. But with Bitcoin and crypto, you have that hedge, but you also have the upside potential. Um, and the correlation to other asset class says um, have been very small. It's, it's really an uncorrelated asset class so far mm-hmm. um, uh, if you look over a longer time period. It sounds to me like it's similar to sort of some of the VC, you know, very early stage VC where it can, you know, have some really big payoffs and 
you know, you hope that the business is small enough that it is sort of a macro hedge as such. But I guess I wanted to ask the question, you know, in terms of what's happened over the last couple of months with the COVID crisis, we we did see that, that Bitcoin struggled for initially uh, the first um, couple of weeks into the into the crisis. You know, does it, you know, can you help maybe explain why that's the case? Is this, uh, you know, people looking for liquidity and, and they need to sort of sell their Bitcoin you know, how, how do you think about its correlation? Yes, you can see it as a macro hedge, but what what's driving it when the broader economy is in trouble as well? Yeah, you're right. I think, you know, in, in mid-March, we saw a bigger liquidity event uh, uh, in a range of assets um, and correlations went up. Um, and some people, I think, were surprised by, by this. I think we saw similar things between gold and uh, and equity markets in 08, uh, you know, we had a time period where collation went up before it it it, it uh, uh, sort of became uncorrelated again, uh, and gold started outperforming. Uh, what happened uh, in March when we had an external factor, which of course was the coronavirus, and and that factor meant that the correlations between the different asset classes went up. So equity markets went down, uh, you know. Gold went down briefly as well. Bitcoin uh, went down, and, and crypto assets went went down as well. So, um, you know, the volatility in crypto is is very high. So, you know, if you look over a short, short time period, uh, crypto went down more than than gold and equities. Uh, since then, it rebounded. Bitcoin, uh, you know, went down to um, high four thousands. Now Bitcoin is over nine thousand dollar again mm-hmm. and we expect that correlation between different asset classes to come down uh, again since the kind of immediate liquidity hit uh, had played out um, there are a lot of leverage in in the crypto markets that was flushed out at, at that time as well uh, which i think is probably a good thing for the future potential but if you look over a little longer period year to date uh, we have bitcoin up 25 percent ethereum the second largest crypto asset, as we mentioned before, is up up 53% year to date. Um, some assets in the DeFi space are up to 300% uh, the last uh, six months. Um, and of course, equity markets are down this year. S&P is down 9%, um, um, which is not that much thinking about what's happening with the economy. One year, uh, S&P is up. Five oh, look, it's a it's a crazy it's a crazy world where we're living in at the moment, where you know some parts of the market just truly don't make sense, and, and valuations are, are very very challenged. I guess I thought we'd leave it with one last question, which is you know for for institutional investors as they think about it, you know wh- what do they need to to do to educate themselves in terms of. Uh, you know the the whole process of, of investing, understanding the 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 custody issues. You know what, what's something that maybe uh, you could suggest to them that that would give them more comfort in 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 what's happening. You know maybe it's a start around sort of the infrastructure that's that's being developed around this um, this this market. Yeah, as I mentioned before, the infrastructure um, has really been built out the last few years. Um, so when it comes to custody, for example, we have very big uh, custodians of crypto assets that custody billions of dollars worth of uh, crypto assets um, with insurance, 
etc. Um, but I think you know if if you want to understand the asset class, uh, perhaps uh, a bit deeper, you have to you probably need to spend some time um, to just read and, and learn more about this space. And uh, it's, it's a really fascinating space with a lot of depth to it. And um, you know, we have on our website uh, a resources page uh, where we put together uh, resources from around the web um, that includes white papers, podcasts, books, etc., etc. Uh, so that could, I think, be a good uh, start for many of your listeners. That's on apollocap.io, uh, and you can go to the resources tab there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have different sections for the beginner, for the intermediate, and for the uh, advanced uh, uh, learner in the crypto space. So that might be a good place to start. All right, that's fantastic. Look, it's a, it's an amazing space. We've seen you know the endowment funds of Yale, Stanford, and Harvard all indicating that they've got interest in Bitcoin. It's a incredible uh, space you know that, that's developing very quickly still a lot of questions to be answered but thank you very much for your time Henrik thank you so much for having me thank you for joining us all views expressed on this podcast are subject to change and do not necessarily reflect the views of Connexus Financial this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice